Hi, I'm Mark Reed. Follow me as I attempt to put my new book, Impact Culture, into practice and discuss it with others taking a similar journey. You'll get tips that will help you achieve more impact from your research and stay healthy, no matter how busy you are. Rediscover your purpose. Lead from behind to empower those around you. Transform your work culture. Welcome to Season 4 of the Fast Track Impact Podcast. So this week I'm taking a mini break from the theme we've been working on around compassion and mental health because I've got a discussion session coming up this Monday. So I'll be releasing this Saturday, Sunday-ish over the weekend. And so in potentially less than 24 hours, depending on when you're listening to this, we have a discussion coming up on this problematic word, stakeholder. And uh, if you're not sure why this is problematic, listen on, uh, and I'll explain more in a moment. Uh, but just while I'm uh, just zooming out from this uh, on the discussion sessions, uh, I just want to say thank you to everyone who came to the surgery session that last week. Uh, it was just yeah, phenomenal having a group of people. Uh, we had a PhD student, we had someone from industry in Australia, in fact, uh, through to academics uh, and many uh, impact officers, uh, people who were in charge of their ref submission uh, in UK universities, just sharing, yeah, these are the challenges we're working through now. Uh, and yeah, I gave my perspectives and tried to help people, but the group itself, wow, amazing. So uh, if you were there, thank you. And uh, thanks for all of the great input. Uh, and I will be doing more of these. So I'm going to aim to do uh, a surgery session like that around about once a quarter. Uh, and I think I'm going to probably cap this. Uh, so it'll be first come first serve. So we keep it a nice small group and can help each other. Also coming up, uh, so the 21st um, uh, is uh, is 21st of November is when I've got this discussion on stakeholder. More on that in a moment. So it starts at nine. It runs for an hour and a half. That's uh, nine UK time. Should hopefully work for those in Australia and New Zealand um, uh, in the evening. Apologies to those in the US and Canada who wanted to join. Um, uh, but uh, then after that, I've got a session coming up on the 29th of November. So this is with Dr. Joyce Reed, uh, health coach uh, and uh, managing director of uh, Fast Track and Pat and my wife. Uh, you've heard her on the uh, on the podcast. And uh, you can come along if you're an academic, if you're a researcher, a PhD student, um, but this is really designed for professional services staff, uh, how to actually get researchers to engage with... Uh, physical, mental health uh, challenges, uh, but in particular just the overwork uh, and to get people to stop and think about their work-life balance, engage with what is going wrong, uh, look at the root causes of that and try and get things back into balance to avoid burnout and such like. And so I know a lot of people in professional services, uh, also managers, um, heads of school in particular that I've spoken to who really struggle with this. Um, they're trying to lead by example, they're trying to put everything they can into place and yet nobody is listening, nobody's doing anything and people are going off sick with burnout and, and yeah, blaming them, whoever they are, and they are trying to do something about it, but how? Uh, so uh, uh, so let's, uh, let's have that discussion, 29th, um, and you can book that on Eventbrite. Uh, Eventbrite. Um, if you have been wondering about what happened to that compassion training, Mark, 
I'm really sorry, but our trainer pulled out. Um, I think I said she hasn't ever done anything in the university sector. She decided she didn't want to get into that sector. Uh, and uh, I am trying to find someone to replace her, but uh, in the meantime, we're using that slot for our discussion about this word, stakeholder. Uh, now, let me just try and explain the issue to you, and I'll try and do this as briefly as possible because I'll put a link to my blog on this in the show notes, uh, and I'm kind of constantly updating this blog um, as I learn from all of you. Thank you for those who've engaged in discussion on uh, social media. Uh, there's a, dis a Twitter discussion that's been particularly live, also on LinkedIn and via my Impact Culture uh, email list. Um, so I'm updating this as we go and trying to uh, to explain a the problem and b what kind of options seem to be emerging as alternatives to this word so let's start with uh, the the basics uh, and uh, I'll tell uh, you a slightly embarrassing story um, in terms of how I came to this word uh, because this is a word that I use all the time day in day out uh, I do impact training I have this empathic approach to impact training that has embedded at its core a tool known as stakeholder analysis. So my suggestion is always start by understanding who might one day benefit from or use your work to benefit others. Um, who, 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 are, who are your beneficiaries? But also who are the people who might be negatively impacted by this? Work out who they are, talk to them. That's your starting point. Now you can come up with an impact plan that might actually deliver real uh, benefits to real people, meet real needs, um, and uh, hopefully spot ahead of time some of the problems and, and deal with them and do something much more responsible. So uh, I work with stakeholders. That's, that's what I do. Uh, I've published um, some quite highly cited papers now about stakeholder analysis. If you put stakeholder participation into Google Scholar, you'll get uh, my paper on that as the top cited paper. Uh, and uh, and so, uh, so I am uh, part of the problem if there is a problem with this word. Um, and as people in these kind of situations often instinctively do, I instinctively, uh, ref uh, almost reflexively, defended the word. Well, yeah, you're saying there's a problem with this, uh, but really, really is there? Um, how important is this? And this is a, a, a critique that I've heard um, online again and again. People saying, yeah, but Mark, really? Should you be spending your time on this? Really should we be discussing something like this? Is this really a, a problem? Surely there are bigger problems out there that we need to tackle than this. Um, yeah, get over it kind of thing. Um, uh, and actually, the conclusion I've reached is, yes, this is a problem. And actually, this is a big problem. <laughs> and I want to try and uh, and convince you uh, and uh, and then take you on a journey to uh, hopefully try and uh, and find some solutions to this. So, the, the 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 issue. I'll give you the two sides of this. Yeah, it's a problem. No, it's not. Um, and you can make your own mind up. But I'll tell you the journey I've gone on. But um, what I was confronted with was uh, a tweet from someone who said, uh, "Yes, yeah, so I've just heard that this is actually a really problematic word. Who knew? Going to try and find some uh, some alternatives." Uh, and I started digging. So why? What what's the problem? Uh, and I started seeing links through to a I think it was British Columbia uh, Canadian government uh, website site um, uh, and then uh, other blogs and papers of people saying uh, in one paper that we should banish uh, the this word uh, 
on the basis that it has colonial, colonial roots in terms of its use and its meaning. Uh, and even if you would argue uh, that there are other usages and, and, and older meanings, uh, it has colonial overtones. Uh, and that's a problem if we want to decolonize uh, our language. Um, uh, and so I'll explain the, the, the colonial use, but let's just pause on this idea of decolonizing our language. And so why should we care? Why, why is that important? Um, so uh, an obvious one um, that I think most people are familiar with is this phrase, new world. So uh, I'm an ecologist by training, and um, uh, it, there's lots of literature. You put uh, new world into, uh, into Google uh, Scholar, who knows what you'll get, actually, but you will certainly get a bunch of papers talking about new world species, uh, by which they're talking about uh, Australia, New Zealand, uh, and in particular, uh, South American countries and, and North American uh, countries. And of course, we're familiar with this uh, in terms of wine. Uh, new world wines <laughs> means uh, California, uh, Australia, and the, uh, and the like. And uh, in this is this assumption uh, that, uh, well, new world to who? Uh, to the indigenous people living in these countries, this is their world and has always been their world. This is new world to Europe <laughs> and uh, to those of us who discovered uh, that there were other places with people living in them um, uh, that we could take over and uh, plunder for their resources uh, to make us richer. Uh, and uh, and so um, and so words like this have persisted in, in common parlance. Uh, we've pretty much managed to get rid of this in, a, in ecology now, but um, but it still persists in terms of, of wines and, and in other contexts, I'm sure as well. Uh, and and so yeah, why should we care about that? Yeah, you know, get over yourself. It's just words, Mark. But if you are working in uh, in a community uh, and the 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 norm, uh, what everyone uh, considers uh, the norm is, well, we are the old guard. Uh, we are the people who were there first, um, uh, and you are the the newbies, effectively. There's this unwelcoming kind of sense of yeah, really, I I'm I'm a new world researcher working on new world species, uh, drinking new world wine uh, as I write my papers and. And the sense that uh, that yeah we are we're we're the newcomers to this whole thing and uh, and and somehow there is this hierarchy in here uh, that the old guards uh, the old worlds are somehow superior uh, and have taken over uh, the, the, this new world um, and own it uh, by calling it that new world um, uh, and and that sense of yeah uh, ownership that, that I don't even own my own country this is the new world but it, actually this used to be mine I thought. <laughs> Uh, there is something incredibly unwelcoming, um, and uh, and uh, and more than that, as I'm going to suggest, uh, I would argue that there is a, a cultural and spiritual significance to these words that can make people feel almost queasy uh, about interacting with with this stuff. You know, if this is the world that you come from, and all of a sudden, yeah, I'm seeing myself through the eyes of these outside people who are now imposing all of this stuff on me, and language matters. Uh, language is used and has been used historically to perpetuate 
dynamics to exclude. One of the things that I've pushed on throughout my career as an interdisciplinarian is can we try and write less jargonated papers? Can we try, if not do that, to write them in plain English as blogs and infographics and try and just take down the barriers? And yet there is this instinctive tribalism, even within academia, that we're going to use our language, our lingo, because actually then that means only people like us can understand and we are now the in crowd. And again, there's this superiority around it. Yet I know, uh, we know, and, and we're re referencing it. What, you never heard of so-and-so? Wasn't he one of the founders of, of our discipline? And I'm like, no, still no idea what you're talking about. Uh, plain English and I might be able to talk to you. <laughs> Uh, uh, but actually, maybe I don't even want to talk to you now because there is this sense of, of superiority in your language, in the whole demeanour that makes me feel like, yeah, uh, who am I even to, to, to be? Yeah, and you know what? I'm just walking away. <laughs> so language matters. And there have been multiple initiatives uh, with multiple words, communities to try and decolonize our language uh, so that uh, research is more inclusive than it has ever been before. So um, the colonial uh, context in which it was used, um, and this, uh, the evidence in particular is for Canada, but I suspect this is um, in other places as well, uh, that uh, colonists would come out and they would stake a claim. I mean, this is also a very common phrase that we, uh, that we use. I'm staking my claim to this thing. Uh, and to stake a claim uh, was literally that you would actually take some wooden poles and you would drive them into the grounds um, uh, and you would now stake this land out as mine. And of course, this was before any treaty. Uh, this is land that was being stolen from indigenous communities. Uh, and... And so uh, when we use this word of, of stakeholders uh, in the colonial sense, uh, this was uh, uh, um, uh, Western people who would come in and who were holding a claim over land that they were stealing from indigenous communities. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, yeah, stakeholder, <clears throat> uh, that's a fairly problematic connotation. Now, uh, I looked at this and uh, instinctively, as I said, was like, hmm, really? Let's think about this. What is the etymology of this world? Um, and I looked up the etymological, etymological dictionary and discovered that there are many other uh, meanings, uh, metaphorical meanings that predate this. And in fact, the original meaning uh, that predates colonial uses uh, from, I think, the 16th century, I forget, you'll have to look at my blog, um, is actually the, the person who held the stakes in a bet. So if you're betting, uh, you will put in uh, your stakes. So I'm, I'm willing to bet this amount of money. It goes in the middle of the table. Uh, this is my stake. And now everyone's stakes are in the middle of the table. Uh, and very often, um, to avoid conflict, uh, when people were unhappy that the bet did not go their way, what they would do is they would all find a trusted party who could then hold the stakes for everyone and then uh, distribute the stakes according to the agreement that was made at the beginning of the, of the bet. And so uh, this metaphorical um, uh, use of the word uh, stakeholder was born. Uh, and so my, my initial response to this was to say, yeah, but hold on a minute, uh, this wasn't the original meaning, uh, and this is a, is a fairly innocuous meaning, although betting isn't entirely innocuous. Um, I was already on, on fairly shaky ground, let's, let's face it. Um, and, um, uh, and it was a, a Canadian researcher, Laurie Prange, um, who reached out to me on Twitter, 
uh, and uh, and simply said, Mark, you're on the wrong side of history. Um, and so I engaged with her and said, so, well, convince me, tell, tell me what's going on here. Um, and and it was Laurie's compassion that, that that enabled me to open my eyes to what uh, she would argue, I think, um, it was a cultural argument. What I'm going to suggest is, in fact, a spiritual argument that uh, that convinced me that I was wrong, and uh, and absolutely, I was on the wrong side of history, trying to argue that you know what, yeah, this is this is okay, and. Uh, she actually tweeted something um, a few weeks after this conversation that, for me, just sums this up perfectly. And uh, I apologize, I should have looked up how to pronounce this person's name, um, but uh, Joseph, I think, is how you pronounce it. So J-O-S-I-E-V-F. And it's a short uh, poem in, uh, in ten lines. And, uh, and ask yourself this question. Um, uh, and I'll ask you the question before I, I read uh, the, the poem. Uh, think of the word hours, O-U-R-S. What comes to mind? How do you instinctively define the word hours? And here's the poem. Colonised minds hear hours and think possession. Decolonising minds hear hours and feel connection. Two very different ways, different cultures around this word ours. And ultimately what Laurie argued is that in indigenous society, at least where she comes from in Canada, the only reason that you would ever stake out a claim and hoard something for yourself was in order to get enough of that stuff that you could share that with the whole of your community. And as I reflected on uh, the, 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 the culture and spirit behind this word stakeholder, even with its original meaning in terms of uh, a bet. Uh, yeah, this is mine. We made an agreement and all of this is mine. I'm taking it all. <laughs> I'm rich now. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a spirit behind this that is completely at odds with indigenous ways of knowing and ways of being. And and it is this way of knowing, this way of being, that uh, that I think we need to take into the work we do around impact. Uh, this uh, this should not be about our stakeholders, and and I see this on a regular basis. Well, I'm not sure if we should really uh, give you uh, uh, introduce you to this person because uh, our relationship with this particular organisation has huge value to us in terms of our research and our research impact. Uh, and if you now muscle in on this relationship uh, and start getting them to do stuff with your research, maybe that will mean they'll uh, they'll yeah they won't work with us anymore. They'll work with you instead, or maybe it'll dilute our impact because they're using lots of other people's stuff as well. Uh, and actually, the, the spirit behind this is not for that person. Uh, we're not actually trying to help them. We're using them to get impact for our Ref Impact case study, for our funder, for whoever it is. And this is not the spirit that, that I believe any of us should be taking to impact. And if we do, this is when we get the negative unintended consequences. And this is something that I've been fighting from the start um, uh, with, uh, with everything that I've been doing through Fast Track Impact. 
is to take a spirit to this, which is why in all of my trainings I focus on this concept of empathy, trying to understand who these people are that we might want to help, to put ourselves in their shoes, to understand how they think, their hopes, their fears. Uh, that sense of becoming one with, with them, uh, one with nature, if it is nature that we're trying to help, so that we can now do things that might actually help putting them in the driver's seats uh, rather than us, even if that takes us in directions that we're not comfortable with, that ends up not actually using our research, but we stay with it, because ultimately we are for them, we are for nature, we're for their interests, not just ours, and, and what we need for our, for our impact. Uh, and so... Uh, this word, stakeholder, yeah, problematic, uh, deeply problematic, because embedded within this are these Western ways of knowing, Western ways of being, that many of us just take for granted. How did you answer that question? What do you think of when I give you that word, ours? And so the fact that none of us have even spotted that there's a problem when uh, indigenous researchers instantly kind of feel queasy using this word. No, I've never liked that word. Uh, why would I ever use that if I could help it? And there is this kind of comfortable consensus of, yeah, uh, this is normal. But who's normal? Uh, it is a, a very Western normal that is exclusive and not inclusive. And so I would argue this is something that we need to change if we genuinely believe in, in, in making research as inclusive as possible. And not only to indigenous uh, researchers, but to the indigenous communities that we may want to work with as well. Uh, but whether or not we are working with indigenous researchers, with indigenous communities, and many of us aren't and perhaps never will be, uh, decolonizing uh, our language across the academy, uh, I would argue, is still a goal that we should all be behind. Um, I'll let you make your own mind up. This is ultimately a moral, a moral decision uh, that we make, as, I'm, as I've suggested. Um, this goes to that level uh, of spirituality, of morals, of what I believe is right and wrong, of my values. And uh, there will be people who disagree, and uh, and that's okay. Let's let's have that discussion, uh, and maybe that's uh, where part of the discussion goes uh, on Monday. Who knows? We will see. So let's have a think then. Uh, if there's a problem, then what might we do about this problem? So uh, I've been exploring this, as I've said, uh, on Twitter, put out a few polls, uh, put out a few ideas, got a load of ideas back. Uh, same on LinkedIn. I then attempted to put all of these together into uh, a bit of a, a list and uh, I sent that out to my impact culture discussion list. So um, I'll put a link to this into the show notes if you want to join that discussion group. Um, and uh, hopefully people who come to the discussion session uh, on Monday will do this as well. And we can continue the discussion long after our workshop uh, and including those who can't make it to the workshop. Um, so, uh, the, in fact, actually, before I come on to the, uh, the options, it's worth me pointing out um, the, the genesis of the workshop and where this might go, because I don't know ultimately where this is going to go. And at minimum, my goal is, A, to open people's minds up to the fact that there might be a problem here, and to get you to do that introspection and start asking yourself, is this a problem for me? Uh, and I'll let you make your own mind up. I've taken you to that place already. Uh, the second point is to then say, well, if this is a problem, then how can I start avoiding using this word and start using something else instead? And 
Uh, I will confess for someone like me who's used this in my entire career, this is going to take time uh, for me to stop using in conversation. I've been trying really hard and I do feel like I've been making progress. Uh, but uh, but pick me up if I'm in if you're in one of my workshops and uh, and I let it slip. Um, uh, I think uh, that, that it is possible, but we need options. Uh, and so I figured, well, I need some options, uh, and I there's a sense of urgency here because I'm writing papers that are going to be in print, and the more papers I write that are in print with this word still in them, the more I continue to contribute to the problem that I have helped create through my own use of this word in my papers historically. Uh, and so I had a paper uh, recently that I uh, published, uh, this is my Reed and Rodman paper, I'll maybe talk a bit more about that next week or the week after. Uh, and I've replaced it there with something. I'll come on to that. I'm not quite sure that's the right thing yet. Uh, I've got a paper that I've been holding off on submitting about stakeholder analysis, so a new approach to stakeholder analysis that is designed to be more inclusive than ever before. And in a paper like this, this is essential. I need a new word. Uh, so that's my urgency. But I know many of the people, people on my network have a similar sense of ur urgency. I know there's a problem now but I don't have an alternative that works uh, because there are problems with most of the alternatives that are out there. So I figure rather than just me coming up with something, why not um, crowdsource this given that all of you have lots of great ideas um, and uh, the, that has uh, been proven to be the case. Uh, just uh, you, you'll hear some of the great ideas that have come out uh, in a moment. Um, uh, and so uh, at the end of this discussion uh, on Monday, hopefully we'll have a few better ideas, uh, maybe a bit of consensus between those who are there. Uh, but do we need consensus? I, I think not yet. Uh, we just need options. Uh, in an ideal world, though, uh, we actually get something that has a similar ring, a, a similar sense of, um, of rightness that people can say, yeah, that's the word that we use, that actually replaces this word. And I think it would be nice to get consensus on that. Uh, but by the time we get to a word that we choose uh, and that we now proactively try to promote and get to replace this word, we need to make sure that, uh, that this is a fully inclusive process. And uh, talking to Laurie in particular, I'm acutely aware that uh, there are not going to be any indigenous communities coming to this. This is not set up for that. This is for uh, my research networks, uh, ultimately. Um, and, uh, and my hope is that there will be some indigenous researchers who come along. And um, I've been putting this out to all of my friends and colleagues to say, if you have indigenous uh, researchers in your networks and you think that they might enjoy uh, being part of this, um, uh, then please let them know, invite them uh, to come along, because I want this to be as inclusive as possible. Uh, I myself uh, don't have uh, any close indigenous researchers in my networks that I can reach out to. Uh, and I'm very acutely aware that indigenous researchers uh, regularly get uh, invited to processes like this uh, in what is no more and no better than white tokenism. Uh, I need some indigenous researchers um, uh, to, uh, to, to make what I'm doing look inclusive. Um, but I don't really, uh, I'm not really wanting to engage with you. There's no intention of, of building a relationship with you or anything else. You're just there to, um, uh, to make me look good. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and that clearly is not my goal. Uh, I want to learn from people from different ways of knowing and being. 
Uh, but uh, I'm very nervous that that's how it comes across. So hopefully there are others who can come in. Uh, but hopefully uh, we also will be able to now co-design a process that could actually take this not only to Indigenous researchers, but to actual Indigenous communities. And to do this respectfully takes money. Uh, in uh, Canada, Laurie was saying how uh, you have to actually um, pay people day rates uh, to engage. Um, increasingly, I'm doing this across all of my own stakeholder work. Um, despite getting pushback from funders, I think it's important to value people's time and to pay them for that. Um, uh, so, uh, Laurie... Uh, encouraging uh, uh, me to to think uh, about how I get proper funding to do this work properly. And that's going to take time. Uh, and so do I wait? Uh, and I think many of my critics would say, yes, Mark, you should wait. Wait until you've got that funding. Wait until you can do a fully inclusive process. Uh, you should not be having this discussion. Uh, and my response to that is, uh, yeah, let's do this, but let's co-produce that project. Let's see what we can do. Uh, but to get funding for this is not going to happen overnight. Uh, and in the meantime, I don't want to add any more than I need to to the problem. I want help. Uh, and I'm coming simply asking for help, if nothing else, um, uh, to, to, to try and raise my own game. And hopefully others benefit from that as well. Uh, as a researcher, uh, my instant reaction was, let's write a paper about this. We could write a, an opinion piece, and surely that's a great way of now getting uh, these new options out into the research literature. Uh, and again, my colleagues coming back and saying, but Mark, really? <laughs> you say you're about inclusion, and you say you, let's write a journal article? Uh, how exclusive can that get? Um, and yes, it would be in as plain language as possible. Yes, it would be open access. Um, uh, and yes, actually, my uh, target audience uh, is academics. Uh, but their point is, you know what, your audience, your target audience should be far broader than this. Uh, and that should only be the output at the end of a much longer process where you've done that proper engagement. Um, uh, <coughs> Uh, and uh, and I think that they may well have a point. I'll, I'll, we will discuss and we will decide what we think is the right thing to do uh, in terms of next steps. And I'll update you next week on the podcast. I'll keep it brief because I'll be talking about something else, but uh, I'll let you know where we get to. So uh, you've been waiting long enough now. <laughs> what are some of the options? Um, well, let's have a think about this. In the literature already... Um, I was seeing people saying, let's change this to partners. And instantly there's something incredibly attractive about this because there's, there's something really deeply respectful about this. You're not my stakeholders anymore. You're my partners. Uh, we are working as equals in this. Uh, and I do like this. And actually in my uh, paper with, uh, with Hannah Rodman, uh, we used uh, a term, which I'll come to in a moment, um, uh, and or uh, our non-academic partners to try and emphasize uh, that there are uh, a subset of uh, this much broader group, which we still need a name for, who are in reality our partners. Uh, they operate with us as equals. They have co-produced our proposal with us. Uh, they are now sitting uh, jointly, jointly leading work packages. Uh, I've got a project where I've got a co-PI from practice, from, from UNEP, for example. Uh, and uh, absolutely, we, we are equals <laughs> as co-PIs on this project, um, and we are partners. Uh, great. Uh, but what about all of those other people that we are working with? Hundreds, thousands of organizations, uh, their members, uh, the, the people that they work with, who we don't have time to actually work with as equals, as partners. 
they uh, may be affected decades from now by what we are doing through a whole series of different uh, chains of events. Uh, and, uh, and no, they're not interested yet, but I need to know that they might one day be affected by this so that I can try and get them engaged to try and work out how can we can avoid this. Uh, and yeah, I'm going to engage with them. Uh, but uh, but I can't legitimately claim that they're going to be my partners. I don't have the time and the resources to make everyone my partner. So let's not oversell this. Yes, uh, we will have partners, but there will also be others uh, who, uh, who, who we will still want to work with. And so the second suggestion that we see in the literature is the word rights holder. And I think this is interesting because it, it gives us, this again, this sense of yeah, uh, there is an equality here. You might not be uh, my project partner, but you have a right to be engaged. You have a right to be involved. Uh, let's look at, say, the Aarhus uh, Convention um, that, uh, that made this a, a moral responsibility. If we are planning to do something around the natural environment, make a decision that will affect the natural environment, uh, the uh, people have a right to know about this, to be engaged with this, uh, and to have decision-making power over this, because we are all uh, impacted by what happens in the in the natural environment. Uh, and great. Uh, so for something like the environment, yeah, uh, I can argue we all have a, a right to uh, to be engaged in decisions about the natural environment, but. Uh, there are lots of issues, so let's uh, say, I don't know, uh, genet genetic modification. Uh, I am affected by this um, in terms of whether or not I get a choice to buy GM or GM-free uh, food. Uh, I have a, a stake in this issue, you could argue. Uh, I care about this. I have no rights uh, over uh, in law. Um, I might have some moral rights, but uh, even those could be argued. Um, I have no rights uh, over those companies to force them to um, to label their products or, or to make uh, GMO-free uh, products available to me. Um, perhaps I want to argue for those rights, um, but there are many issues that we care about. Uh, that we have no rights over. So, yeah, might work in some contexts, but it's not generalizable enough. So, let's just pause for a moment. I am going to, to, to think about some other options here. But uh, we have the, the, the challenge now to, it's, it's going to be a two-word thing. It's not just going to be partners, um, uh, but, uh, but uh, these are, uh, are they interested people? Um, are they... Um, interested groups, for example? Um, uh, are they actors? Is it something else? Uh, so if you're a social scientist, this word actors is something quite familiar with you, but there are problems with all of these as well. So uh, if this is about people, well, what about organisations? Uh, what about groups, farmers, for example? Yeah, uh, interested people isn't quite right. Uh, affected people, yeah, also, yeah, it's more than just people. Um, uh, so what about groups? Well, okay, but then what about individuals? <laughs> uh, groups is clearly excluding individuals. Um, and some people would argue, yeah, then may maybe that's something we could live with. Uh, and I've used that in Reed and Rodman. Um, uh, but the other one is actors. And we also have to think about how this lands with people. And um, I heard a, a tragically hilarious story of a researcher, a social scientist, um, who uh, went into a local council somewhere in England and uh, had the, the local the councillors, uh, the politicians, 
um, uh, and, uh, and and they, they clearly had some egos uh, on them. And uh, and this person described them as as actors, uh, and did so a, a number of times in their presentation, and stopped. And this outraged uh, uh, chair um, uh, spoke for for their fellow councillors by saying, "We are not play actors. We are real politicians. Uh, we don't act. Uh, we're for real." Um, uh, and and she desperately tried to explain. No, no, no. I'm just talking. You, 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 you actors, as in stakeholders, as in. Uh, but that was it. And she she actually got chucked out. Uh, they were like, "We're not listening to any more of this. Uh, we are offended, and uh, you're out of here." <laughs> uh, someone else uh, came up with the word entities, um, and again, this solves that problem of well, that could be a corporation. It could be. Uh, a group, it could be an individual, but um, uh, she herself pointed out, would I like to be referred to as an entity? Welcome entities to this room. No, that that feels very cold, very inhuman somehow. Yeah, good idea, but not not quite, I don't think. So um, the other problem we have actually with all of these is that they imply that stakeholders can only be human. And I think it's important to recognise that there are very often very important non-human stakeholders, species, collective groups of species, habitats, um, uh, ecosystems, um, and, and, and the like. Um, apologies for a, a really bad definition of habitats here. Um, my, my ecologist is screaming out, um, but I'm sure nobody else noticed. <laughs> uh, anyway, moving swiftly on, uh, I think uh, given uh, how important these uh, non-human actors, uh, as many social scientists describe them, are, are to the interconnectedness of the most important global challenges we face today, we do need to have a think uh, about this. I think group could work. Group doesn't necessarily imply people. Um, I tend to find when I write about it, it, it feels like I'm implying people, but maybe maybe we can live with that. Um, uh, the, the other word that, that I've come up with, though, that, um, that seems to work, that is getting um, positive feedback from you guys, is parties. And uh, I'm kind of in two, where, two minds about this. Groups, parties, uh, there are pros and cons. Um, parties... Uh, very clearly can be non-human. Uh, we regularly talk about p- the parties to an agreement, a uh, conference of the parties um, uh, happening at the moment uh, in Egypt, for example, in the climate convention. These could be a country, it could be a corporation, um, it could be an individual uh, as a party to an agreement. Um, uh, so, uh, so, so yeah, human, non-human. Uh, the issue with this uh, is again, it's quite impersonal. Um, but uh, mo- the biggest objection I've heard is that there is a very clear legal meaning uh, to uh, to a party to an agreement, uh, and is that confusing uh, for 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 legal scholars, uh, people involved in that? Yeah, maybe. And so maybe that's a reason not to use it. And maybe we can swap swap between the two groups or parties depending on what uh, is 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 most relevant in context. Probably doesn't matter. So. Um, uh, so I, I've been trying to get a sense of uh, what you think. I put this out, um, and 
Uh, one comment that I thought was particularly interesting was uh, Eric Jensen, uh, who I'm working with uh, on a fairly regular basis. In fact, he's just started part-time um, uh, as a research fellow in uh, in our research centre at uh, Scotland's Rural College. Um, so working with him as a consultant and as an academic now, which is great. And he said uh, that, that actually, when you think about it, um, how many published stakeholder analyses actually include non-human species? And I kind of scratched my head. I haven't done a literature search on this, but I'm fairly familiar with this literature, having just uh, finished writing a paper on this, and the answer is very few. Uh, it does that then justify saying, you know what, this is important, or should we be trying to encourage people to extend out and consider our non-human uh, uh species alongside uh, our, our human uh, colleagues, publics and the like. Um, not sure. Uh, but it does uh, justify, I think, uh, this idea that, uh, that, yeah, groups is probably okay. So groups or parties. Finally, then, we need a descriptor. Uh, are these, uh, I've given you two so far, interested parties, interested groups or interest groups, perhaps? Uh, are they affected uh, groups, uh, for example. And uh, for me, the, the, the first place to go logically is the definition of the word stakeholder, as was originally coined by Freeman in 1984. Uh, I have reached out uh, to Freeman. Um, I apologise, I've forgotten his first name. Um, he's on Twitter. Uh, he's uh, still a professor in an American business school. Um, you can look him up. And uh, he sadly doesn't have time to join uh, the conversation, working on lots of other things nowadays. But uh, Freeman came up with this idea of a stakeholder as those who are affected by or who can affect a decision. And um, and then uh, in my paper, um, uh, the, we, we're using this three eyes approach. And if you want to, to find out more, just Google three eyes and stakeholder analysis. You'll get my blog version of this. Uh, and the three eyes are interest, influence, and impact. And so uh, implicitly, when you look at uh, Freeman's definition, you've got the idea of uh, affected by. Uh, something. So that's uh, impacted. I'm either affected positively or negatively. And then, of course, we know impact can be a positive thing. It can be a negative thing. Uh, so the first, uh, so the third of my criteria, uh, impact, is already implicit in this definition. Uh, so are these impacted parties, impacted groups, affected parties, affected groups? Uh, for me, uh, the, the, uh, the, the impact at least for me, is is more obviously uh, positive or negative. Um, so I would go with that. But yeah, it could be either or. Uh, and we also have this idea of influence in there. Uh, the second part, so those who are affected by or can affect a decision, i.e. have the influence, the power to, uh, to, to, to alter the course of that decision-making process. So, um, so this could be now influential parties, influential groups, uh, influencers, for example. Uh, and when you bring in that th that third criterion, uh, impact, uh, sorry, uh, interest, which is not in uh, Freeman's definition, but which is regularly used in stakeholder analyses. Uh, if you look in the literature, it's dominated by interest influence matrices. We've got now three options. Uh, so, uh, interested 
groups or parties, interest groups, for example, uh, influencing uh, groups or parties or influencers, um, uh, powerful groups, that kind of thing. Uh, and then finally, the idea of affected parties, affected groups, uh, impacted parties, impacted groups. Uh, great. Uh, but hopefully you can see the problem. All three of these are just one part of what makes someone, uh, in uh, Freeman's words, in two parts, a, a stakeholder. So we're getting at one out of three aspects of the people we're trying to, to, to understand. Um, and as a result, we are likely to bias this to only identifying the powerful groups, the influencers, um, if that's what we call them. Uh, well, we're looking for influencers. Uh, that's what I did. No, no, but I meant you to also look at the people who were interested, but who had no influence, who might be, in fact, the most impacted of all. Oh, okay, well, why did you not say that? Well, because I couldn't say, uh, in terms of my replacement for the word stakeholder, interested, influential, and impacted groups or partners. Uh, yeah, that's a problem. It's a bit, a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> so, where do we go from here? Um, so, uh, well, let's have a look at uh, two two options. And so the first is what me and Hannah did in our most recent publication in is it sustainability, sustainability science. I can't remember uh, the name of the journal, but um, have a look. And we called uh, the, the, we just did a find and replace and uh, finessed it, different things in different places, um, but uh, kind of, and shortened versions of this. But this was what we used. We used interested slash affected groups and non-academic partners. Uh, the idea being here that I've got this idea of, uh, of interest, uh, explicit, and the word affected uh, could be used to imply uh, both uh, influence and, um, uh, and impact, uh, because it is the word that, uh, that Freeman used. But he did use it in two different ways, so I'm not quite sure that it, it does do justice um, to, to the idea of influence um, as part of it. But yeah, we get that. Yeah, interested, affected groups, that could work. Uh, and non-academic partners. Uh, uh, having reflected on this, uh, uh, the, this idea of non-academic uh, using a negative prefix um, implies superiority. Uh, so uh, I've described how I was brought up in a church context and we used to talk about non-Christians um, and it was always in a, per in a pejorative way. Uh, feeling sorry for these poor sinners uh, who um, whose life had no meaning and um, and our, and our task was to to bring them into the fold and um, and it's just it's patronizing um, and if you've been referred to as a non-christian it's like what i never even realized that there was a category of black and white that could be christian versus non-christian huh. uh, not comfortable with that if you were referred to as a non-academic partner yeah what you trying to say i'm not clever or something <laughs> Uh, yeah, okay, so moving swiftly on, um, it was a good idea at the time, and it's now in print, um, but hey, uh, it was it was as good as we could do at the time. Um, uh, partners, yeah. Uh, Non-academic? Hmm, not sure. But then, yeah, it, just partners, maybe that works. Um, uh, but, uh, but, yeah, second idea, Let, let's move to this. Uh, is that, that where I'm heading to this is the idea of a completely different word, the word relevant. So, relevant parties or relevant groups. And 
uh, I think uh, instantly there there are issues here because the word relevant um, means that somebody has to decide who is relevant and who gets decide to decide that uh, is going to be who's in and who's out. And instantly there is the potential for us to fall into a power tra power trap. Uh, and, um, and and we're back to what has happened historically with interest influence matrices uh, that we're going to define the high Im influence, high interest people, and we'll spend all our time with them. And if you're low interest, low influence, then um, in some of the original papers, they are described to as the crowd and we'll just crowd you out because you're not important. Um, and that's what I'm trying to get over with this idea that um, by adding this third uh, criterion in uh, impacts um, that uh, we can have people who are the crowd, so you thought, uh, not interested in what's going on here. Uh, we have no influence by definition. We are the poor, the, the oppressed, the marginalized, and yet uh, we have a moral obligation to reach out to these people because they could be more impacted than anyone else, either positively uh, or negatively. And I think, uh, maybe I'm just convincing myself here, you can tell me what you think, uh, that, that it does work in that, for me, this is very obvious uh, and very clear uh, that uh, whoever is, uh, is doing this analysis, whoever is using this word, uh, you have to open up this question, well, who is relevant? Uh, and you only get to decide that once you discuss it with others. And this is always something that can be problematized by others. Well, I think they're relevant. <laughs> and what about them? Uh, and hopefully this reminds us that we need to uh, open our minds to uh, other perspectives in terms of who might be relevant. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe not. I'll, I'll let you decide how, uh, how persuasive that, uh, that argument is. Uh, but I think one of the things that has merit here is that um, uh, that it's it's a phrase that resonates. Uh, it's, the, it's it's memorable. It's something that we can all understand. And in fact, you don't have to be an academic. You don't have to have studied this. Uh, you don't have to be able to speak another language. And this is another thing that a number of people have told me. We need a non-English word. And wouldn't this be a great solution to? Uh, to to rebalancing uh, this language problem that we've got of uh, of, a, of an academy that is dominated by the English language uh, because of the journals um, uh, that that are the, the top journals are, are English speaking journals um, uh, and how that perpetuates the problem and this is something that I think has merit that I would like to discuss with you more um, uh, especially those who have suggested it. Uh, my worry, uh, as I've seen people try to do this historically, you come up with a new term or a, 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 a word in another language, nobody can remember it. It doesn't have that instant cachet, that, um, uh, that, that, that resonance that, uh, that means that it gets taken up. And if our ultimate goal is to replace this word and to decolonize our language, I think that we might need to be uh, strategic and choose something that will have that, that kind of instantly understandable resonance. But perhaps I'm just falling into my own traps here um, and saying, well, uh, yeah, we, uh, we accept that, um, that, uh, that we set the terms of engagement um, as white Western men like me. Um, and, uh, and so I'm going to choose something that other white Western men like me will feel comfortable with and remember and be able to use and make life easy for people like me. Uh, uh, the, uh, the the controversy, the, uh, the the hypocrisy is is not lost on me, and uh, and I look forward to a critical discussion on this on on Monday. Um, so, relevant parties, relevant groups, 
uh, a non-English word, yeah, there are options, I think. Uh, and and so I guess I'm going to conclude at this point uh, and um, and suggest that uh, a come along to the to the workshop if you can if you've uh, listened to this in time. Um, uh, B join the discussion group. I'm hoping that we will continue this on our email discussion group. Um, uh, find the thread on Twitter or on LinkedIn and and reply and join the discussion there. Just reach out via email to me. Um, uh, this is one discussion forum, but my hope is that this spawns other discussion fora. Go back to your research group, go back to your department. Uh, the next time someone use, uses the word uh, in, uh, in, a, in a meeting, any meeting that you're in, just drop the link to my blog, uh, for example, into the chat, uh, just, just, just mentioning. Uh, what can we all do to raise awareness that there is a problem here? And what can we all do to start? using some alternatives uh, or just editing that out that word uh, i did this in in the uh, the, the paper that we are going to submit uh, sooner rather than, ho than later. Hopefully we um, replace the word stakeholder with relevant parties. That was what we used, uh, what I used, just to try this out. Uh, and actually I found that this word stakeholder was quite lazy. And I discovered in some places, huh, I'm actually talking about partners here. Uh, and I need to specify exactly the subset of, uh, of so-called stakeholders I'm really talking about here. Uh, this is very specifically beneficiaries in this particular context. Huh. Uh, and the sense I had at the end of having done this was that it was a better paper for having actually uh, used words that had meaning <laughs> and nuance uh, to them rather than this catch-all easy word of stakeholder. So it, it is hard. It takes some effort, some thought. But I think we might actually communicate more effectively uh, at the same time uh, as achieving this deeper uh, cultural, perhaps even spiritual goal of decolonizing our language. Uh, so I'll leave you to, uh, to think about how you want to apply this, to have your own discussions, and perhaps even to become aware of other words, uh, like that new world phrase um, in your own discipline that, huh, hold on a minute, let's do a bit of thinking about this one as well. And I hope I don't make you completely paranoid, but... I think this is a good place to be. So uh, go away from this and, uh, and reflect on, uh, on this word, ours, because research should be for us all. Uh, this should not be ours as Western researchers, uh, as a Western community, as an old world <laughs> uh, that we keep uh, in the ivory tower for people like us that speak our language and that feel part of that privileged old guard. Ours should be about giving away. Ours should be about a community that is connected that enables access to all of all backgrounds whether formal education whether literate non-literate non formal informal forms of knowledge uh, yeah everyone uh, we all have something to say we all have something to learn from each other and by changing how we speak and how we write perhaps we might make this a more inclusive community